It's surprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives. Really excited for today's episode with John Levitt, a good friend of mine, someone who's been on the podcast before, and the host of the For the Long Run podcast, which is a really good podcast in its own right. Uh, That podcast focuses a lot on ultra and trail runners, but goes beyond that as well. And I definitely suggest, not right now, Listen to this episode first, but afterwards, certainly give that uh, podcast a listen. John does a great job and has an unbelievable set of guests. I mean, it really is a remarkable string of people that go on to that show. Before we talk to John, I do want to give a shout out to the VCU Health Richmond Marathon. They're going to be in person downtown Richmond, Virginia on Saturday, November 13th. The race also includes the CarMax Richmond Half Marathon and the Allianz Partners 8K. 8K is basically five miles for those of you who need a little uh, little conversion help. It's also a great race. Richmond provides phenomenal course support, great fall scenery, and awesome finisher swag. I can testify to the crowd support. I did the half marathon last year, and my goodness, I mean, you would have thought it was one of the Abbott World Marathon majors. I mean, it was just support the entire way. It was the best experience for a race that I've ever had, frankly. And it was it was really uh, an unbelievable experience. The, cor- the course is mostly flat, but it does have some rolling hills. And when I say that, they mean it. It's not like when they say rolling hills, but it's not really. It's really pretty dramatic. It's rolling hills right where you want them, just to stretch out the legs a little bit. And it travels through scenic sections of Richmond. It's a great first-timers, has a really fast downhill finish. But beyond that, it's also an unbelievable race for people who want to Boston qualify. It's one of the top 25 Boston qualified marathons out there. It is also one of the friendliest marathons in America. That's not those, those are not their words that's been described that way. It is truly a remarkable experience, and I'm so glad to be partnering with them again this year. Not only that, friends, you can save $10 if you use code RAMBLINGRUNNER when you go to richmondmarathon.org. That's right. Go to richmondmarathon.org. Use code RAMBLINGRUNNER at checkout to save 10 bucks on your entry through November 13th. Now, today's episode with John Levitt. We talk about a lot of things. John's a good friend, and he's his travels through the running world are pretty unique. He's a guy who has run and beaten three hours in the marathon. That was a primary goal of his for a long time, as you'll hear in this episode. He has evolved past then, and basically he was able to get that goal because he stopped focusing on the goal. I couldn't wait to talk to him about how his Competitive spirit has changed over time because he is a very competitive guy, but he doesn't focus as much on races, how that's changed, how his um, idea around fatigue has changed as he's now bumped up to a lot of much higher mileage, much more demanding running out in uh, Colorado. And the conversation goes into some really wild and unexpected directions that I really appreciated John's um, frankness and openness throughout the entire episode. So let's get into it with John Levitt. All and right, we're live we here back. with the Rambling Runner back. podcast. No, <laughs> Preempting me. This is what happens when you interview a podcaster. They think they're the host. I'm the host, John Levitt from For the Long Run podcast. Back again. Not only from For the Long Run, also a good friend of mine, John. It's great to have you back on the show. 
Guess who's back? Back again, uh, Matt. Thanks so much for uh, for having me back on. I uh, I didn't I didn't say too many crazy things on the first round, so uh, so here we are. So let's do it. So people don't people may not know this. I talk to I call John like once every two weeks, if not more, just as like my walking, talking sounding board that I like to throw things off of and get his opinion on. So we're not going to do that today. We're going to have a more fruitful podcast related conversation. And I'm so excited for that. So Jonathan, you live in Boulder, Colorado, used to live in the Boston area. You grew up around Boston, um, close to where I live as well. Last time we talked, we talked a lot about that move, how it changed you as a runner and how like a lot of things shifted in and around that time. One thing that we didn't really touch on a lot in that conversation was just was competitiveness and competition. And things like that. So I know you as a competitive guy. I know in your professional life, you are a competitive guy. You're driven by metrics. You are really very, very good at it. And it's something that's a major part of your life. And with running, you also were like that. As we chronicled before, you were after hard breaking three hours in the marathon. You were able to do that in Providence. And it was a really fun journey for a lot of people to follow. Since you moved to Boulder, it seems like you've taken a little bit of a different tack when it comes to competition and competing. Would you mind just walking us through the beginning of that evolution, how it started to shift for you? Yeah. Um, I mean, some of it was brought on by the pandemic and the lack of racing. And what I realized in 2020, as I was coming back from an injury and in 2021, was that like I don't need racing. And I don't need to put something on the calendar with a start and a finish line in order to be excited about training. Um, I've shifted my goal from like, I want to break three, which I did, to like, I want to run fast and far and have fun forever. Um, so the goal currently literally does not have a finish line unless you consider the finish line, you know, being six feet under at some point, you know, very, very far away. Um but it's more about like having as much fun as I possibly can. I saw a meme the other day that said, what if we measured our success as runners by how much fun we're having? I'm the best runner in the world, if that's the case. Um, not all the time, but, uh, but frequently. Um, and to me, living in this playground of joy and um, like I, to, uh, tomorrow's workout, I'll do it on a trail called Anemone. It's a four-ish mile, five-mile loop trail with a thousand feet of gain that happens in two and a half miles. <laughs> and it's like it's like a playground. Like I get to do my six six by ninety second hill reps uh with then forty-five seconds faster, um uphill, staring at mountains, staring at dirt, staring at people who think I'm a psycho. Um and just like thriving with it and building fitness so that I can say yes to anything with three to five days notice. Literally, like if you asked me my training goal four months ago, that's that's what I'd say so that I can say yes to adventure in the summer. And that's what I got to this summer. I, I, um, I was in Tahoe or before I was going to Tahoe for Western States, I don't know, like three days in advance, one of my coworkers was like, hey, you want to run from, from the Olympic Village to Donner Lake? It's 19, 19 miles with 6,000 feet of gain. I was like, yeah, I could probably do that. Um, 
because I've trained for uh, for those types of adventures. Now, the kicker was I didn't really have the fitness to do it because I hadn't been doing long runs thanks to COVID. But had things gone as planned, which they almost never do, um, it would have set me up well for that kind of adventure. Originally, the plan was um, pace Zoe Rome at Western States. I got COVID like four weeks prior to that, didn't do any long runs and didn't have uh, a desire to be stuck out in the canyons when it's 110 degrees, not knowing how my body would respond to that type of stress. Um, probably a good thing I didn't do that. It's taken me you know, quite a while to feel good after coming back from COVID. COVID itself was more of just an annoyance that like I couldn't hang out with my friends and I had the sniffles um, and felt pretty fatigued for like six to 12 hours. Um, but the, I don't know, six to eight weeks afterwards, I never really hit my stride. Uh, and so that was the most frustrating part. As someone who just thrives under, th- thrives with consistency and like, I really just love flow state. Like I didn't feel that for two months and um, we were talking about her uh, prior to getting, getting on the call. I ran with Kara Goucher last week and like that was the first flowy run I've had since May. Um, was it because of your health or the company? Both help, but you can't, you can't <laughs> have, you can't have that flow state without putting in the work. And obviously the company helps and like having someone who can who can talk for 70 minutes straight about really interesting things and um, like she can just talk for the entire duration of the run or we can have a really engaging conversation. Either or is totally fine and we've done both. But in that in that scenario, like I blinked and and, you know, eight and a half miles was was up uh, pretty quickly. And again, the company definitely helps. But you you just can't get that without some level of fitness and health, and like I was, I've been craving a run like that since the spring, um, and I'm hoping there's more of that in the future. But that's what I'm training for. Like that's what I love. That like the the community aspect, having good conversations with great people, um, doing group runs, and feeling having it feel effortless to you know run a five k with thirty people. Um, these are the things that I've grown to love so much about running and I put, I'm putting, I put CIM on the calendar again because I really love to run fast marathons as well. Um, I'm competitive with myself. I feel like I PR the marathon every two to three years. Um, so, so you're due. I'm due, yeah. <laughs> Providence was 2019, but as our good friend Peter Bromka says, the marathon doesn't owe you anything. Um, and my my limiting factor in the past was I felt that the marathon owed me something. And I failed at breaking three, four times in that process, thinking I was super fit and I would just show up on race day and, yep, here's your sub three. Here's a ticket to Boston and a you know very long bus ride out to Hopkinton. Um, and have at it. And I stupidly didn't learn that's not the case until, you know, three or four years into this, um, adventure when I really started meeting people who were doing it right. Um, no coincidence. It's when I started podcasting as well. And I got to learn from all these people that 
their Olympic gold medalists or their professional athletes. And um, none of them are, are for the most part, um, none of them are so focused on metrics like amateur runners are. And none of them are, are so detail-oriented or, or outcome-oriented versus process-oriented. Now, if you want a completely different take on that, listen to my episode with CJ Albertson because he's the only person that's like, like very much disagreed with everything I had to say in that regard or everything I had to reflect on in that regard. Um, but I took all these learnings from, I don't know, 2019 and I must have done 30 episodes at that point or 20 episodes, whatever it was, I was starting to learn and starting to notice some trends around what it takes to be good, what it takes to be great and what it takes to be great for a long time. And I was so obsessed with breaking three. I was so obsessed with the 651 average. I was so obsessed with, with um, signing up for a race and thinking Boston was on the other side. And I kept getting slapped around by the marathon. Uh, I liked it a little bit, but I obviously would have liked a, you know, a better outcome. And when I lined up for Providence in 2019, I stood on that start line. And I was like, I can do anything. And this is a celebration of the last several thousand miles that I've run. Um, and I, I went out of the, the gate and I couldn't stop running 640s. And that's what I'm craving. I'm craving that, like, what are you going to get out of your body and how much is it going to surprise you kind of a thing. And so CIM this fall, it's fall, but it's December, but I guess it's still technically fall. Anyway, um, I, I want that feeling. I want to be 15 miles in, 18 miles in, 20 miles in and feeling good and feeling flowy and feeling like I know I'm in control. It's going to be hard obviously. There's no reason to do things like run a marathon if it's not hard like it it's it's hard. Um but I I want that like what am I going to get on the day with pretty good evidence to suggest that like it'll be something good. Uh, as long as I, you know, get my morning poop and the weather's fine and uh, I'm not late kind of a deal. Absolutely. All right, I love all of this. All right, let's talk about the mindset shift that you mentioned was precipitated by some of the conversations that you had on your podcast for the long run, which is very well done. Um, I can't recommend it strongly enough. Um, don't pause this podcast. Keep listening. But, you know, after this one, people should check it out. Um with that said, I feel like we're, we're missing a piece here, too, because your coach, David Roach, espouses all of these principles. And yet it seems like it didn't quite take hold until you would kind of broadened out and had more than just his voice in your ear, basically saying some of the same things. Would you mind just talking about how your ability to really not just hear these things, but to have them kind of fully absorbed into your being was a process. It wasn't merely like, well, coach said this, so I'm going to completely do it. Was there like a push and pull there? I wouldn't say it was a push and pull, and I wouldn't fault it for not sticking. It was, you know, some people try for 20 years to make this work and like learn these lessons of process versus outcome. And so the work that David was doing in the log and 
in the training log and and in our conversations we've done i don't know four podcasts together as well where again no agenda in those conversations really just like a exploration it's funny he always interviews you you never interview him. He's also like just asking you questions the whole time. Yeah, we're overdue for one of those. Um, and as soon as he has his uh, little boy, I think we're going to do another one live. Uh, he doesn't know that yet, but um, yeah, I'd like that. Um, but anyway, the question was, why did it take so long or what what led to this shift? Honestly, it was just like exposure therapy to um, so many excellent people saying it the way that it is, right? It's so fascinating that people who are paid to compete and paid to win and paid to go to the Olympics and paid to perform at the highest level are so focused on the process when the outcome pays their bills, right? So you would think that somebody who is paid, if they succeed by conventional measures, um, and that's another thing we should talk about, defining success. Um, you would think that somebody like that is going to be singularly focused on being the best that they can, on winning, sorry, on winning, being better than their competitors. Be, but that's so unpredictable and you don't know who's going to show up and you don't know who's going to be injured and you don't know if the weather is going to be humid or cool or whatever. So all you can all you can control is what you can control, which is mind-bending stuff right there. That's so deep, right? Just kidding. Um, all you can control is what you can control. So why not control the controllables? And so once I focused on on that, I really started to improve. So to me, the controllables are sleep, nutrition, mindset, and consistency. Everything else is totally out of your control, weather, the people around you, um, et cetera. Uh, injury, freak injuries, you step off a curb wrong, uh, et cetera. Um, so when I started focusing on particularly mindset and nutrition, and like really, I worked at Inside Tracker for eight years, but I really started taking nutrition and sleep seriously in, I don't know, 2019 as the mileage grew. And I, I did my first ultra in 2018. And that also was a huge mental shift. That that led into that mental shift where suddenly a two and a half hour long run was not all that long because I was doing five hour long runs. Now, you're a coach. I'm not a coach, but I don't believe that like most people should be doing long runs more than two and a half hours long. But this was not for marathon training. So I was able to sort of extend that because I was training for something that was 40 plus miles. Um, yeah, if you're taking breaks and you're also not running on pavement, there's, there's like a completely different set of rules. Totally. And, and fueling properly. And yes, so absolutely. like running, you know, a six hour, a five and a half hour marathon at Wachusett Mountain while eating um, beef jerky and, and drinking Coke and pickles and all this stuff. Like, yeah, five hours of that versus two hours on the road suddenly two hours felt incredibly attainable. So here was a, a mental shift of, well, it's actually not that long. <laughs> and so everything became more bite-sized and more attainable. And so the, the, the mental shift was there because it became a little more accessible. 
the physical aspect became easier because um, I was paying attention to it more out of necessity because I was running 65 miles a week. Um, and, and my, you know, weekends were 30 plus miles and that trajectory has essentially just continued through May of 2022 where I've paid super close attention. I've seen the progress I'm looking for. Then we had this little hiccup with COVID, which has been really annoying. Um, and I'm hoping I, I can get back to some level of consistency and, um, high level athletics that I was, that, you know, that I was experiencing before. Um, when I, when I returned back to Colorado, um, last year, last year, like a couple of weeks ago, David put something in my log that said, when you land in Colorado, try to really set intentions for elite athlete mindset that you've mastered in the past, maybe a bit of a grind at first. And that is unlikely to be fatigue and need for more rest, but need for more training. So I took a week and ex, a half. Ex, 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 I know David obviously is a very good writer and he's a very good communicator. People listen to this podcast probably have heard his podcast, what he does with his wife, Megan Roche, um, as well. But obviously you guys have been friends and worked together for a long time. So when he says the, the elite athlete mindset, and you've mentioned mindset shift on your own as well, what is exactly, can you unpack that a little bit before you explain what it meant to you? Yes. Yeah, so... David's take is that everybody can be an elite athlete if you think of yourself as such, right? It doesn't matter if you run a two-hour marathon or a six-hour marathon. If you are doing the things that elite athletes do, eat, sleep, recover, fuel, like practice gratitude, etc., all the things that allow highly skilled professional athletes to be highly skilled and like stay healthy, if you're doing all those things, you're an elite athlete. Like it doesn't matter how fast or slow you're running in that aspect. So, God, so elite athlete minus. So basically, what we traditionally would think of as an elite athlete, everything that everything that that accompanies is encompassed in that minus the genetics. Totally, yeah. So that's that's the whole point that all that you need to do to be an elite athlete is do the things that elite athletes do. What makes somebody elite? Consistency. How how do you stay consistent? You eat enough, you sleep enough, you train to the margins, and sometimes a little beyond. Um, and that's that. And so what I took from that, so so when I was back in Boston, I took basically a week and a half off of running because I was it was like I was spinning the tires, nothing was happening, I'm stuck in quicksand. And I also got a stomach bug and like couldn't eat anything for two days or couldn't keep anything in for two days. So I wasn't fueling at all, essentially, for that 48-hour period. I had no energy. Um, and, and I know how you feel about intermittent fasting. That must have killed you. <laughs> yeah. If you're, if you're a woman, please don't. Um, anyway, and, and the research is uh, decent on men, uh, I guess. Um, anyway, so I, I just like, I wasn't having fun. I wasn't enjoying thinking about going for a run. So I I did one workout in Colorado, flew to Boston, um, started an eight-mile run, ran two of those miles, and walked home. And then I didn't run again until the next Saturday. Um, and 
that was great. And what David's comments were, so people who, people who are new runners get so frustrated by like, I thought running was supposed to be fun. This is awful. Like, of course it's awful. Until you're consistent with anything, it's awful. And so I always tell people who are like getting into running that wait three weeks prior to making any decisions of whether you like it or not, which is a lot of time. That's like a minimum of 10, 10 runs. So you got to get through that. So I don't know. I took what, eight, nine days off and it fell awful coming back to it. And then finally it didn't. Um, and so his point was, I need to just get back at it. Like I was running almost 70 miles a week fairly consistently at altitude for months at a time last year. And like I came down from Breckenridge where I felt like a superhero or Superman running 35 miles a week, came back to Boulder, got up back up to 60 again, um, a little, a, a bit more than that, went to Boston, felt unstoppable uh, and then trained, 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 felt incredible. Um, did a lot of things in the fall and just like really found a groove with, with training. And so I think he was referring to like last spring as well as basically all of 2020 where I was just increasing fitness and increasing fitness and also 2019 where I was definitely the fittest I had been up until that point as a runner and probably in general, uh, save for a few, a few months last year. And again, doing all the right things, eating enough, sleeping enough, um, practicing gratitude and doing things outside of running that make me happy. Um, now I've completely forgotten what the question was, but I feel like I've rambled as a runner. I'm sure we enough. got, I'm sure we got to it at some point. Um, <laughs> so as you, so obviously you, you have quite a story here that I think a lot of people can relate to sometimes like the highs followed by the lows, certain things that are, you know, explainable, other things that aren't, or just getting a rut that you really can't control, which can be really tough. Let's go back to the part that you mentioned before about pre 2019 or in around 2019, where your experience with what fatigue is or isn't started to really change. And I know that it continued to evolve in the, in the few years after that. Obviously, the past you know, four or five months has been a little different, but it really has evolved. So let's, let's kind of do a not completely chronological, but a little bit in terms of like, to, if you think back to some of those moments where in the moment or even like afterwards, like in your log, you're like, I reached my limit today. I could not have gone any farther. I was lights out. I could not have gone farther. And then inevitably you look back on it. You're like, you know what? I think I probably could have gone farther. Right. Or like in, in those instances, in terms of like how you view fatigue, how it ha how it presents itself to you and how you have learned how to maybe push back or reframe it to make it less of a debilitating thing in terms of its effect on how you're running or training, specifically in the long run, you know, ultra marathon type training. So I'm going to refer to a handful of different events. Um, the first is 
my first 50K in November of 2018. Um, the second is the marathon at Providence in 2019. Um, and then a few weeks later, the Boulder Boulder 10K. Uh, and then running rim to rim to rim in, I can't even remember. I think that was the fall of 2019. Yeah, that's correct. So these were all places where, for the most part, in the moment, I thought I was like deep in the well. With the exception of, well, so like a 10K is such a, such a different one compared to a marathon, compared to an ultra, right? You're never, you can't go to the well in a 10K until the end. And so doing it in a 10K is like a mix, especially a 10K at altitude that's hilly, that ends on a hill. So that one was like, I'm pretty sure I rode the limit of my ability on that day. And I ran like 37 something. Um, or it was like a fast. like low low six minute pace for context. And I've not touched that in a while. Those those paces for that duration. Um I was marathon training. At elevation on at, a hilly course. Yeah. So four weeks prior I ran Providence. And I recovered from Providence like I was running three days later and felt amazing. And my blood work from Inside Tracker was like, oh, maybe you ran like an 18 miler the weekend before. And like it was a tiny little bit elevated. It was the best post race data I'd ever seen. Um, that was my first marathon in super shoes, <laughs> uh, which definitely played a part. Anyway, um, so I think I was pretty close to the edge on that one um, and definitely went to the well in the last quarter mile. The The marathon in Rhode Island, I thought, basically I felt amazing for 13 miles. I felt all right for five and... I made a conscious decision at mile 20 to like literally what I said was make it hurt. And so in that moment, I was like, this is going to be uncomfortable. This, this is tiring fatigue as the word you, you used. Um, and this is a good thing. And here's where you find out what you're made of, right? Like I, I wasn't running six minute pace. I wasn't running sub six pace. It wasn't like I could, I could still think, but the the deep fatigue of having run for two hours and 45 minutes was starting to set in. And in those last couple of miles, it was like, you know, our, Matt Fitzgerald's book, How Bad Do You Want It? Well, I wanted it more than anything in that moment. Um, and I've always wondered if, like, I've, I lost an edge after um, succeeding at a goal I'd had for four years. And it's something I feel like I should talk more about with Gwen Jorgensen, who has become a really good friend of mine. And we go on these runs and it's just like eight miles later, I've just learned so much. Gwen won gold at Rio um, in the triathlon. And for, I don't know, 
20 plus years, her life goal is win an Olympic gold medal. And then she did it. So that's like the the peak of what we're talking about here. Whereas here, I'm just some guy who wanted to break three hours in the marathon. And so, I don't know. That's been something I, I've talked about a little bit with her, but maybe I should go deeper on that. But then there's um, rim to rim to rim, where I emptied the tank. <laughs> there was nothing left in my body. Can you talk to me about that? Think, talk, describe how you felt when you from a from an energy perspective or just fatigue, not just like just the, the general fatigue sense. Describe to me what that was like in the moment where you're like, this is this is the limit. I can't I can't go any further. So it was it was pretty incredible. Um, so essentially, so rim to rim to rim, you start on one side and go to the other and then come back. Which is so of the Grand Canyon. Of the Grand Canyon. Canyon. We're talking about the Grand Canyon. So, so you can see, you can see where you've come, which is like pretty remarkable um, from a visual standpoint. So the first 22 miles, 21 miles was pretty decent. Um, ran it as a group. Had a lot of fun. Had a, like a nice little buffet on the North Rim. Again, pickles, Coke, chips, jerky, etc. Really lovely stuff. Um, then we come back, and I'm running with my buddy Tony. And at the 50k, we're running like seven minute pace, seven fifteen pace. And we're like, this is fucking awesome, but we're gonna pay for this. So let's let's see where it goes. Um, and then we paid for it, of course. So we get to, so the climb out is, is roughly a 10 K and you gain 11,000, sorry, you gain 6,000 feet. So it's, it's basically a thousand feet per mile. Which for people who don't know, think about the biggest hill you've ever climbed it in the steepness of it. It's a lot bigger than that. <laughs> totally. So, <laughs> so it, it was like that. Um, and I started talking to my phone because I was like, I want to remember this. Um, I want to remember how awful I feel right now. And the fact that this is the worst physically and mentally I've ever felt in my life. And I'm going to get through it because there's no option. There's nothing else to do but keep putting one foot in front of the other. That's it. That's the secret. That's the secret to anything. That's the secret to how you do anything. And here I was like stripped raw and and like nothing else mattered besides putting one foot in front of the other. And so it's like this beautiful metaphor for life. Again, how do you do anything? Well, you don't do everything all at once. You do things piece by piece. And so what I loved about this moment where I had never been there mentally or physically, again, probably mile 40. We're 12 hours in. My longest run was seven hours. And the options at the moment are give up, get a $15,000 helicopter ride out of there, or keep pushing forward. Again, epitome of life. Give up or keep pushing forward. So I've, I've sort of leaned on that moment for two reasons. One, it's the you know secret to life, and two, almost nothing I've done since has been that hard, <laughs> with the exception of uh, four pass loop, 
from a few weeks ago, which was um, probably mentally more challenging. Uh, physically, not sure. But um, f- again, few things since that was October of 2019. Very few things in my life have been that hard mentally or physically since then. And I think we need to go to those places. I think we need to do those things that just push us to our absolute limit because I could go back and do it again and it would probably be easier. Let's do it. Let's do it right now. So post Grand Canyon, Jonathan can go back to 2017, 2018, when you were in the throes of trying to break three and very goal focused at the time, still working very hard but maybe didn't have the same sort of mentality in a variety of different ways. But what would you tell 2017, 2018, Jonathan, just about fatigue and pushing through discomfort that you learned later on? I love asking this question on my podcast, and I do frequently. And what a lot of people will say is, I wouldn't tell that person anything because they just have to learn it. And that sort of answers the question of like, why didn't you get it in the training log or why didn't you get it in the coaching? Some stuff you just like, you just have to get through it. And I would tell that guy like, this is going to suck or whatever your goal is, is going to be really hard and it's going to be awesome. And you'll, you'll, have a similar goal in the future and it will it seems impossible now and it's this continued leveling up of like small medium large goals what what is what is like just outside your wheelhouse what is pretty challenging and what is like absolutely not i could not consider doing that if 2014 jonathan heard about 2019 jonathan or 2022 jonathan and what he was doing now He'd think you were on drugs and just like complete or like talking about somebody else. Um, and again, that's what I love about it, that w- the things I'm going to be doing in 2025, I probably think are absolutely insane for me to be doing right now. And they are right now. But fast forward a year, two years, three years, four years, these things get a little more attainable and a little more attainable. And then we just get bigger goals and and then we just keep essentially reestablishing what's normal, possible, uh, just outside the box. And that's how we grow. That's the growth mindset that like, we're never, we're never like stasis is the enemy. I hate, I hate status quo. I hate being bored. Um, and I hate this, like, um, I don't know. I see it all the time. People are just like so content with just getting by and, it's just like, it's so boring. I've been in relationships where that's the case. I've been in, I've had coworkers where that's the case. I've, and it's just like, it's toxic and it brings everyone down. Whereas if you're of this growth mindset, everyone around you is better. Like the, what's the saying? Like you're the sum of the five people closest to you. Okay, so if you're listening to this podcast, think about the five people you spend the most time with. Are they helping you? Are they helping you grow? Uh, maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your partner. Maybe it's your training partner. Or maybe it's like a toxic something that like you can't shake. Or um, 
I don't know. I, it's like a. I think it's an important exercise to to go through every six to twelve months. That you're you just need to evaluate the people around you and the impact that they're having, and then the impact you're having on them. All right. So the people that you spend time with, not just on the podcast, but in your everyday life, as you've already detailed a couple times with Kara and Gwen, are some of the best athletes in the country, right? You live in Boulder. There's a lot of high-level athletes there, not just from a running perspective, but in other areas as well. So what are some things that the general public gets wrong about these high-level athletes, both in terms of like they think X, Y, Z, but it's way beyond what's actually true. You mentioned ones already before in terms of like focusing on goals, right? They have a very different relationship to that, right? And other things, we might underinflate it. Like sometimes people think that like, hey, I think I know what that, the, I think I know what that kind of speed actually feels like or looks like. And maybe they don't. Maybe it's like on a completely different level. So what are some things or misconceptions people have, both positive and negative, um, that you've been able to kind of come to some understanding about given your time in Boulder amongst these people. So it's an extreme privilege of who I get to surround myself around. But but I don't think it's like impossible for anyone. Um, here, you know, there are a hundred people probably within two miles of me right now that most people listening would consider elite or professional athletes. Just like in my neighborhood. Um, Kate Grace was at my birthday um, celebration last night, and we were talking about um, we we're talking about her own recovery from COVID and the like, the over reliance on metrics or the like when when to listen to metrics and when not to listen to metrics. And so, I think a lot of people think that like pro athletes they know their body and they know they know everything about how things operate. And that's not always the case. Um, the piece that, that I always like highlighting when it comes to pro athletes in Boulder, that isn't really like a direct answer to your question, but the, the relationship around food with, uh, within professional athletics, going back to Kate and her group team boss, like if, other runners, amateur or pro, emulated the relationship that Team Boss has around food. We'd have way less of a of a challenge with um, disordered eating and eating disorders. Um, I don't want to stray too far outside of my lane on on this discussion, which I feel is best reserved for a dietitian or someone who can like communicate it properly. But if you look at if you look at how they eat and how it's social right i was at i was at um scratch uh last week and their founder alan lim was talking about um his experience on the tour and and he's a sports scientist exercise physiologist and and has you know he's worked with lance armstrong and everyone in between lance and amateur runners and what Alan was saying was on the tour, he made it mandatory for teams to eat together. People could not eat by themselves because he was working to facilitate this social atmosphere and this like, it's like these guys were, were burning, you know, more than most people eat in a week and uh, on a daily basis. And so it was like mission critical that they replenish that. And so one of the ways that he was able to do that 
was by establishing these sort of ground rules around like how do we consume food? What what's the environment we do it in? And so it's a long way to answer your question of like what what are the misconceptions? Um, the misconceptions are that that people that pro athletes are like nitpicky and um, they don't eat pizza and they you know these kinds of things. Like I was at Endeavor Run two weeks ago and um, Lydia Nader is a sports dietitian from Chicago um, and she was in charge of meals and fueling. And we started with a pizza dinner and we ended with a pizza dinner. And I haven't talked to her about this, but I feel like that was by design. Like here's someone who is tasked with helping people understand like fueling for performance. And she's showing that it's okay to eat all foods. Um, so again, anytime I have the opportunity to like share what I get to see with all of these pro athletes that I get to be around, it's always about food joy mindset and it's it, it like it the workouts don't matter and i say that sort of in jest like the workouts are like the not the real main piece of the puzzle that i used to obsess over and that like Amateur runners. Do you mean like do you mean the execution of the workout or like the X's and O's, like what what's actually written down on the calendar? Mm, I mean, I mean, being too focused on the tangible aspects of running, when truly the intangibles, the happiness that it brings you, the joy of being involved in the community, the gratitude that you get to do this. You have a body that works um, and the people you get to do it with. If you can get that part and and the, the continued striving for progress, not perfection. If you can nail that aspect, the workouts are easy. The workouts are, are going to happen. I, I forget who the coach was that, I was listening to on a podcast and I forget what podcast it is, but now I want to know. But anyway, the, the point on, on, in that discussion, probably the rambling runner. Totally. Yeah. Or for the long run. Um, <laughs> the, the conversation was if you're doing all of the other stuff and if, if happiness, if the athlete is happy, they're going to succeed and they're going to hit their time goals and they're going to like the running doesn't do it. It's not the running. It's everything else that facilitates joy and growth and and these adaptations that we're seeking from the runs. If you don't have joy, gratitude, growth mindset, appreciation for what you get to do, the running is going to suck or you're not going it, to – it's just like what's the point, right? We're not being paid to do it. Um Everyone has a podcast, so you don't need to run to have a podcast. <laughs> um, it's just like, this has been the realization that, again, these people who are doing it at the highest level, yes, they focus on the X's and O's, and yes, they focus on the workouts, and yes, 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 but they've figured out how to build running into their life versus how to build their life around running and honestly 
that that's probably why I'm a happier person in 2022 compared to 2017 because my life was running and it was dictated by metrics that I don't really have control over that were objective metrics. Did I break three, which is a completely arbitrary number? Who cares? And now it's like, do I have gratitude that I get to run? Like I look outside my window right now, again, place of privilege, but like I can see mountains and I can, I can do these things that um, make me so happy. And it takes 20 minutes to get up into the big mountains. And it's like hard to not have fun when, when this is the foundation that I've been able to build. And I'm not saying it's like daisies and unicorns and, puppies and tacos all the time um it's not perfect and if it if it were perfect what i'd say is you're leaving potential on the table um alexi papa says that you know a good a good training routine feels great a third of the time feels okay a third of the time it feels awful a third of the time that's the split that i'm looking for because if you don't have those waves, it's so boring. And the highs aren't as high and the lows aren't as low. I was talking about this with Kara last week too. Uh, and again, all of these incredibly talented and success, conventionally successful athletes feel so similar about everything I'm saying right now. And so again, this mindset that I've been able to get to is has been molded and melded from hundreds of conversations with, again, conventionally successful people. Now, defining success is also an incredibly useful um, exercise. And, and following how your definition of success evolves can tell you everything about what you need to know about yourself. Again, I used to consider success did I break three? Did I nail the workout? Did I hit my paces? Now it's like, did I have fun on that run? Uh, did I did I get to do it with friends? Uh, did I do it a little bit faster than last week? Did it feel a little bit easier? Um, at you know, or, you get what I'm saying. And again, reflections on 225 episodes with conventionally successful people; those who are conventionally successful often define success in a completely subjective manner in ways that they can control. What does that mean? It means that success is not they won an Olympic gold medal. Success is that they got the most out of their body on race day. Success is that they they did everything they possibly could. Success is growth over a 10-year period. Completely subjective happiness, joy, gratitude, all these things I've been rambling about for the last, I don't know, however many minutes. And it's so fascinating, right? Because again, to get back to what I was saying initially, like these are people who are paid to win and paid to compete. The other piece is that's shifting a little bit. Like they're now a little more required to tell their story and to connect and to be real humans instead of just robots who compete and don't have any emotion. Um, I think that's an incredible shift in the way that sponsorship works and the way that brands treat athletes that they're they investing in the whole human, but that's a completely different podcast. 
Um, anyway, it's such a it's such a cool thing. I'm just so grateful that like I, my path and my my own mindset and growth and trajectory and like how I live my life is melded by these this curiosity that I have of like, how do other people do it and what have they learned and how can I adapt what I'm doing to grow and to help others learn as well. Right. Cause like the whole reason I started my podcast was the realization that I was sitting on gold and I was like, people were telling me things that should be shared and that I shouldn't just keep to myself and that I felt were valuable to share with the community. So now I get to do it similar to how you get to do it. And it's so cool to be able to share these learnings with so many other people. And so that if a few less people have to like stumble and fail, that's a win. I love it. I know you have a hard stop. We're butting up against it. So before we get going... I know you'd like to record a couple weeks out, sometimes even a couple months out. You're way better at planning ahead with a podcast than I am. We've talked about this in the past offline. With that said, it does give us the opportunity to plug some of your upcoming episodes. So who who's going to be coming up on the podcast shortly? Well, that's a great question. Um, so Kara, we've spoken much about her. Um, her episode is coming out on August 26th. Um, Addie Bracey, uh, did a fun one with her a couple weeks ago. That's, uh, 225. That's out. Um, Danny Bent, it's going to be, I think, uh, September 9th, um, episode 230. This guy is, um, he's responsible for the, the event that really got me into running. It happened 10 years ago in Boston, uh, almost 10 years ago in Boston. And it was a really fun conversation again around joy, gratitude, growth, um, and, sharing experiences um allison desir uh really looking forward to her um podcast that one will be out in october um and she's coming out with a book uh running while black um two of us are white males uh we have a very different experience as runners than she does and I think it's important to, to, to go there and to explore and to have these different voices and different perspectives on um, how we experience the art, the, the exercise of putting one foot in front of the other. And these things that we don't think about, she thinks about and other communities think about. Um, and I have no idea what we're going to talk about, but I'm looking forward to that one um, and everything in between. All right. John, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. John, thank you so much for coming on this show. Also, big shout out to the VCU Health Richmond Marathon. Go over to richmondmarathon.org today and use code RAMBLINGRUNNER for $10 off at checkout. That's right, code RAMBLINGRUNNER at checkout to save 10 bucks before November 13th at richmondmarathon.org. One of the best races out there. Again, I did the half. It's truly amazing. If you're thinking about a marathon, you couldn't make a better choice than Richmond. I, let me just say that. It really, really was a remarkable experience. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. 
Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Just representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.